Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. This story contains material that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike, but be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. It stood on the edge of the water. Like many of the buildings in Dark River, it was primarily constructed of wood, yet this one was far removed from the reputable shops and houses off Main Street. It was known only as River Mansion, and few from town dared go near it. It was perched above the river on a patch of cleared land, and looked quite out of place, for with over twenty rooms it may just as well have been a large hotel had it not been removed from town. The view was scenic and lovely, of the river and the surrounding forest, that is. The same could not be said for all of its clientele. They came in droves, often after a hard day at the dark trout mine when they had a rare day off the following morning. They came unbathed, and they came filled with liquor, ready to release their pent-up masculine energy compressed through hard labor and constant fear of death in the mine. They came to River Mansion. They came. Patricia would watch them stumble their way up to the entrance from her window on the top floor. She would always dress in her finest to greet them, for she was not running some measly blind pig on the outskirts of town. She was a madam of the highest order, and her wardrobe portrayed nothing less, for she wore a long expensive fur coat and broad feathered hat that dwarfed her face by comparison. She was larger than life, and she liked it that way. 
Sometimes, she would go into town for a few things, even though she was fully aware of the disapproval folks had for women like her. Although she knew that she would turn heads and attract unfavorable attention, she refused to let that degrade her self-esteem, and she made a point of wearing her eye-catching attire as if to say, Yes, here I am. Now what are you going to do about it? Dressed so well, it was obvious that she was what was considered to be a woman of ill repute. And that was the kindest way that people referred to women in the sex trade. On one hand, it was frowned upon, and once a woman was categorized as such, there was no salvation, little chance of marrying or becoming an employee of a socially acceptable trade. On the other, it was celebrated in the sense that men needed a sexual outlet when the work was too hard, and their wives just weren't cutting it. It was completely acceptable for a man to be married and have a little on the side, provided that he was discreet about it. What wasn't acceptable was for a woman to be the little on the side of a married man. Likewise, the ladies of the night, as they were called, were always held responsible for the degradation of strong moral society, whereas the men that partook in the activities of the brothel were never put under the same glass. They were men, after all. While Patricia was fully aware of all of this, she didn't let it bother her, for she had a job to do and an establishment to run. She focused on running it the best that she could and providing as safe and hospitable a space for the girls as possible, for she had heard of some women so down and out that they had to satisfy up to 30 clients in one day to make ends meet. And some of them were only 13. At River Mansion, however, things weren't so loose. The girls would never be expected to have more than six clients per night, and they would be well-fed and provided with a roof over their head. As the very name stated, the sex trade was indeed a trade, just like the miners or lumberjacks. All of these thoughts rippled through her mind each night as she watched the men approaching. Most of them knew and respected her. Very few ever dared challenge her in her own space or try to break the rules, even when they were half in the bag, for they knew they had to stay in line or they wouldn't be allowed back the following night. And here they came again. It was Friday night, so it would be good for business, as Saturday was the men's day off. The girls were ready. It was time for Patricia to head downstairs. She had learned through her years of experience that it was essential for her to be the first point of contact with the customers so that expectations could be set, even with repeat customers. And there were always repeat customers. On her way down, she passed the girls, who were each standing by their rooms. While it was customary for women in this trade to hang around the men in the blind pigs, Patricia ran a different operation. She would allow the women down in groups of three and assign them a man, though of course it was part of their training that they approached their client as if it was happenstance to make them feel special. In this way, the women of River Mansion were able to maintain as much authority as possible, while making the men think that they each possessed some innate, irreplaceable charm. 
She could hear the familiar roar now, and she gave a stiff nod to bolster some of the younger women as she passed them on her way down. One of the newer ones, Melanie, was standing in her doorway, eyes fixed on the floorboards in front of her. She looked terrified. Patricia gave her arm a squeeze on the way by. She was as supportive as she could afford to be, but ultimately, they had to fend for themselves within the framework she provided. Welcome, gentlemen, she cried as she entered the main hall. I trust you'll find everything to your liking. This familiar greeting was always acknowledged with a round of applause from the men, and she took it graciously with a nod. You know the rules. Keep it within the rooms. No rough play, unless it's mutually agreed upon. And payment up front. I've got something that goes up front, one of the men yelled. Or up the back, one of the other men added, which was met by a roar of laughter from the group. The first three women appeared and made their way into the crowd of men. As they departed for their rooms, leading their clients by the lapels, another three arrived. Patricia noted that the women were all avoiding one man in particular. She had seen him here before many times. He had a dark, thick beard and eyes sunk back into his head, giving him a skull-like appearance. Judging by his attire and the way he carried himself, she reckoned he was a lumberjack, and a large one at that. "'Saving the best for last, I see,' he yelled out at the next group of women, who quickly grabbed a few other men the instant they caught him looking their way. He was clearly already drunk, and was heading to the bar for more. The room was nearly empty when Melanie finally made her way down. Patricia noticed that the woman kept her eyes on the floor the whole time, and only raised them when she felt the gaze of the one remaining man standing at the bar. Well, well, he said. Looks like I got me a pretty little one tonight. A very pretty one. He drained his whiskey and belched. Melanie was frozen to the spot as he approached her. Patricia had a sudden impulse to come between them, but she knew better than that. All it would take was one unhappy client to report her to the town authorities, and her whole operation would be in jeopardy. So she stayed where she was, and watched the man stagger up to the woman, and run his finger down the side of her face to the nape of her neck, before curling to hold her head in place. Patricia saw her body go rigid. Where's your room? then. Slowly, Melanie turned and walked towards the stairs, with his hand now firmly clamped on her shoulder. His other hand found her buttocks, and she winced. As they passed Patricia, Melanie avoided eye contact while the man gave her a wink. Then they disappeared up the stairs. Now that it was quiet, she could hear sounds of grunting throughout River Mansion peppered with the odd cry. Patricia knew her women well and could tell whether it was real or fake. Most often, it was enhanced to make the men feel better. Through their tough exteriors, they were incredibly touchy creatures and needed to be taken care of. Patricia crossed to the bar and called for her usual. Rye whiskey. Neat. Two fingers. It was a two-finger 
of night. Normally, she would savor it before the next horde arrived, but she shot it back in one go. Something about tonight felt off, though she couldn't place either of her fingers on it. Feeling a sudden wave of panic, she slid her glass back to the barman and headed towards the stairs. She'd been in the business long enough to know one thing. Trust your instincts. And her instincts were telling her that something was very wrong. She climbed to the second floor and walked along the hall. She could hear various sounds from each room, some of pleasure, some of pain, but nothing that alarmed her. Still, she felt a tug that she couldn't quite describe and turned back towards the stairs, now at the far end of the hall. They looked ominous. As she was watching, one of the lamps on the wall flickered. She passed by it on the way to the stairs and climbed to the top floor. As she reached the top landing, she felt a sharp pull in the direction of the hallway. She passed by the doors one by one, but they were all closed. Nothing out of the ordinary there. Similar sounds seeped through these as the ones from the floor below, but the air felt thicker, as if she were walking through molasses. As she passed by Melanie's room, she heard muffled cries from within. She reached for the door handle, then paused. What was she thinking, barging into a private session with a client? An unhappy customer would surely set the authorities on her, and the man on the other side of this door was not someone that she relished the idea of crossing. Besides, the cries from the other side of the door were far from screams. Listening closer, she decided that it sounded familiar to most of the sounds coming from the other rooms. Patricia looked out the window at the far end of the hall and saw another group of men trudging through the snow towards River Mansion. More customers. She turned back to the door and debated knocking, but Melanie's cries had stopped. The man would likely be leaving any minute, and the last thing that Patricia wanted was for him to find her spying outside the door, so she quickly turned and headed back towards the stairs. Down in the hallway below, the lamp flickered one last time, before going out completely. Back on the top floor, other clients were emerging ahead of her, pulling suspenders over their shoulders and putting their wool coats back on. She wove her way through them as best as she could to get back downstairs to greet the next group. The main room was packed once again as the women began to mingle with their second clients of the night. There were a few men from the first group still drinking at the bar, and one had fallen asleep over a table. Where was Melanie? Patricia realized that she hadn't seen her come back downstairs with the other girls. Nor, for that matter, had she seen that man leave. It was strange for a client to take this long. The first group of women were now leading the men up the stairs, and Patricia folded in with them. She made a show of checking in to see that everything was in order on the next floor up, before climbing to the third floor. None of the customers had made it up here yet, and all of the doors to the rooms were open. All, that is, except for one. She crossed to Melanie's door once again. 
there was no sound from within, not even the creak of a floorboard or a bed frame. Everything all right in there? she called. No answer. Melanie? The silence that greeted her was as thick as spring mud. Now she was getting frustrated. It was understandable for someone as green as Melanie to be shy, but this wasn't her first night. It wasn't even her first week. Melanie, we need the room. Are you clean and ready? More customers are here. She was met with the void once again. Was it possible that she had missed Melanie coming down the stairs already? But then why was the door to the room closed? And there was something about that man. Forgoing courtesy, Patricia turned the knob and opened the door. We don't have all... Her voice caught in her throat, and her mouth froze open in horror to mirror the expression before her. Melanie was lying on the bed, with her head propped slightly up against the headboard and facing the door. The lifeless face was as white as porcelain, and her mouth was frozen open, a shadow of her body's attempts to suck in air not less than an hour ago. The neck was twisted and bruised. The rest of her ragdoll frame lay across the bed with one arm hanging off of it. Rigor mortis had not yet set in. Melanie's body gaped at Patricia as if in accusation. Finally, Patricia found her own breath again as a draft of cold air hit her and she had to stifle a scream. She had never felt death before. Her eye caught the open window across the room and she hiccuped in relief. It was simply cold air from outside. Steering as clear of the bed as she could, Patricia crossed to the window and bolted it tight. The man was nowhere to be seen. She heard the rabble ascending the stairs behind her and hastily pulled herself from the room, closing the door tightly. She had only a few seconds to catch her breath before the hallway was packed and the rooms began filling up. When she reached the main room once again, she walked behind the bar and took a long pull directly from the bottle. Easy there. She jumped, nearly spraying whiskey across the bar. The man who had fallen asleep at the table earlier had come too and was staring at her. Come now, he said cheerfully. We're not all that bad, are we? She swallowed and turned away without saying anything. Now she was faced with another problem. What was she going to do with the body? She didn't dare bring the authorities in, for that would surely be the end of River Mansion, and she would likely be locked up for creating an environment where something like this was bound to happen, or worse, be pegged as the murderer herself. After all, no one would care about another prostitute being locked up. She couldn't leave Melanie's body lying on the bed. Sooner or later, someone would walk in and find it. Taking another large gulp of whiskey, she steeled herself for what she knew she needed to do. After the last of the men were gone in the early hours of the morning, 
Patricia climbed the dreaded stairs once again. When she was sure that all the women had retired, she slipped into the room. It was pitch black, except for a shard of light piercing the gloom from the open window. With one hand pressed to her chest and the other to her stomach, Patricia inched her way towards the bed. When she found the edge of the bed, she quickly pulled the sheets out and felt her way around it, throwing the corners into the center. Carefully, she leaned over the bed, feeling for each of the corners to bunch together over the body. Her hope was that she would be able to drag it down the stairs without disturbing anyone, and then out into the woods where she would bury it under branches and snow, for it would be near impossible to dig a grave with the ground as frozen as it was. Now all four corners were in her hands, and in her haste to pull them together, she lost her balance and tumbled face first onto the bed. Stifling a scream, she lay there as still as she could. The mattress had dampened her fall, for somehow she had avoided landing on the body entirely. Wait, that couldn't be right. Frantically, she swiped her hands across the surface of the bed. Nothing. The body was gone. And then something else dawned on her. She was sure that she had closed and bolted the window earlier. Slowly, she shifted her eyes up towards the open window and the cold March air blowing in. She could see the moon cutting through the frame, as if it had pushed shards of glass onto the wide wood floorboards. As if by a force not entirely her own, she rose and crossed to the window. She looked out upon the open space between the river and the trees, and what she saw chilled her down to her marrow. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we'll look back out onto the field. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming every three weeks. So follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy your time in this haunting town, please consider leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I'd also like to thank one source that I've used for many stories before this, but particularly this one, The Sterling Women of Cobalt by Deborah B. North. It's a fascinating account not only of life in northern Ontario at the turn of the century, but also how life differed for women and, in many ways, the additional struggles they had to contend with over men. But now, let's join Patricia on the top floor of River Mansion once again. Patricia looked out upon the open space between the river and the trees, and what she saw chilled her down to her marrow. There was a figure walking across the snow towards the trees. The footprints behind it were clear, and as Patricia followed them back to River Mansion, she could see the prints tracing their way down the building from the window, as if the figure had simply stepped out 
and walked down the outer wall before continuing along the snow. As her eyes followed the footprints back out to the figure, she felt her chest seize up, as if it too were frozen over. The figure had stopped and was now turned back towards her. The face was looking directly at her, the gaping maw of the dead mouth, still frozen open gasping for breath, was facing the window as if in accusation. Everything inside her turned to ice as the ghostly apparition studied her. She was terrified that it would return, crawling back up the side of the building to hunt her down. After all, she had failed Melanie. But, after a moment, the ghost turned its elongated face towards the forest and walked on. Before Patricia could regain her breath, the apparition had vanished into the trees. On shaky legs, she retired to her bedroom and pulled the covers over her head, not even bothering to change into her nightclothes. She willed sleep upon her as hard as she could, but knew that her efforts were fruitless. Sleep would come if it chose to. For now, though, her eyes remained as wide as the ghosts in the moonlight. Before she knew it, the sun had risen and it was morning once again. Clearly, she had fallen asleep after all. The other women were still asleep, and Patricia took the opportunity to slip back into Melanie's bedroom. Everything was as it was last night. Well, almost everything. Her body was gone, and the sheets were scattered on the floor. But the window was firmly closed and bolted. The rest of the day passed as many days did, and soon the sun was setting, and it was time to prepare for another night. The lumberjacks, as usual, were the first to arrive. Only, something was different. They weren't their usual boisterous selves. It was as if a shadow had fallen over them. As each one in turn paired off with a girl and disappeared up the stairs, Patricia noticed that the lumberjack from the night before was nowhere to be seen. She did, however, spot the man who had passed out on the table and approached him, asking him if he knew the lumberjack. The man's face went pale. Him, he said. Why, he was found in his bunk stone-cold dead last night. No one knows what happened, but his face looked mighty terrified. I knows there's no such thing as dying of fright, he continued. But I'd be damned if I ever seen anything quite so close to it. One woman took him by the collar and led him upstairs before he could say anything further, and Patricia found herself alone in the main room. Then, without knowing where it came from, a smile crept across her lips. She crossed to the front door and stepped outside into the cold night air. The moon shone down, bright as ever, and the snow was a clean, crisp white, like a calm sea expanding out towards the horizon. She could hear the river rushing along, bringing spring with its flow. And 
just for a moment, she swore that she could hear the footsteps of the dead woman returning from the forest to come back home. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Basitka. I also produce the show, as well as compose the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Chris Basitka. For more history of small-town life in Northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram, at Dark River Podcast, and visit our website, darkriver.ca. Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by, and see you soon.